Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to this latest episode of Q Commentator with me, Nick Heath. Well, this episode is uh, one that's coming to you from within this curious period of worldwide lockdown and quarantine. Uh, but, uh, well, that's not something I'm going to dwell on, uh, as uh, you're not listening to this for anyone to be talking about that. Uh, one thing that has happened during this time uh, is that I've achieved a bit of notoriety uh, for putting out a few videos featuring my hammed-up uh, parody commentary voice. Um, that's been providing a bit of levity for anyone finding the current environment pretty challenging. Um, it's been pretty incredible to uh, to see the messages from people who've been entertained or who found a belly laugh uh, at the end of a challenging day and pretty humbling too to receive them so uh, so if you've ended up coming to Q commentator as a recent follower uh, or as a convert to our church you are very welcome indeed um I guess one of the unique things about this period is that we don't have any actual sport taking place right now. Uh, So it's given me a good chance to catch up with one of the industry's busiest men. Uh, And also, I think, in commentary terms, one of the best examples, if not the best example, of a multi-sport commentator. Uh, I am talking, of course, about the excellent Andrew Cotter. Uh, In this episode, we'll briefly cover how Andrew started out before discussing his prodigious career as a commentator on so many sports, from the boat race to Wimbledon, rugby union, golf, athletics, uh, more besides. Um, There's a mention of Olive and Mabel, uh, because obviously I wanted to hear about Andrew's dogs. Um, And we also cover that unfortunate moment when Andrew had to leave his post due to norovirus whilst on air. Uh, I think we cover it in such a way that it shouldn't turn your stomach or make you lose your lunch. Um, It is an amazing tale. Uh, so, listen, Andrew's a, a very self-effacing man, so I was I was really thrilled that we managed to find the time and that he was open and engaging with me in wanting uh, or allowing me to get under the skin of, of what he does uh, and, uh, and how he does it. So I hope you'll appreciate that too. Um, so, hello again. It's lovely to be back with you. Uh, I'm hoping to call a few more people during this time, given that, uh, well, commentators haven't got a lot else to do unless you're doing the sort of inane rubbish that I am online. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, hopefully a few more people can uh, can come out of the woodwork and we can get a few more episodes done. Uh, but for now, I shall say little more than I hope you enjoy this one. Well, Andrew Cotter, 
thank you very much for joining me. It's been a little while since the last Q commentator chat. Um, delighted to have you with me. How are you? I'm I'm all right. I'm I'm all right. That's all we can say at the moment is we're all right. Um, so yes, I'm I'm fine. I'm fine. It's uh, In, uh, indeed. Yeah. We are recording that's, this at curious times. Which, a curious uh, time, which, strange uh, times. Yeah, strange yeah. times to be a sports broadcaster. You think sport yeah. is always going to be there, and then suddenly it's not. And uh, you, you realise how trivial it always was, but somehow very important it was to all of us as well. So there we are. Yeah, there certainly is that feeling. Um, so a man from Troon, west coast of Scotland, uh, golfing country, um, University yeah. of Glasgow, studying French and philosophy. Um, I did French sociology and law, albeit for six months in Preston before I ran away. <laughs> Uh, and uh, and then it all began in radio. Um, why and how were you uh, were you drawn to working in local radio to start with? I'd love to say it was uh, the end of a, a long quest and long held desire to be a broadcaster and to work in radio or then television or whatever. But it wasn't. It was it was it was a case of and this is what many people experience. I didn't really know what else to do and I just sort of fell into it a little bit. I you know I had as you say a degree in French and philosophy which qualifies you for. Nothing at all. Uh, <laughs> being being a help on holidays or trips and being pretentious—that's so. I don't know. It's uh, I had a love of languages. I'm excellent at both of those. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're all very good at that. And it's uh, yeah. I, I I knew I wanted to work with language, with words, with uh, and you just sort of. I was working as a waiter uh, in a cocktail bar. And I was working as a waiter yeah. uh, in a restaurant after university, just for just to pay the bills in Glasgow and. Um, it was a sort of media hangout at this restaurant, Regano in Glasgow, and lots of media types would come in, and they always seemed to be leading the high old life. And I thought, that's that's the life for me. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I just sort of fell towards it. And local radio, I applied for a couple of jobs, one with um, uh, written journalism, one in uh, broadcast journalism, and I, I got offered both of them and then just took the... Uh, took the broadcast journalism route because it seemed to be a little bit more glamorous and exciting to a 22-year-old, so that was it. I mean, with, with, with you sort of mentioning the media types and the, and the glamour and the excitement, had you been someone drawn to any sort of form of performance in your youth, in your past? Had you done sort of drama at school or anything like that? No, I was, I, in fact, and, and strange given the job I do now and, you know, when you're doing commentary or when you're doing event hosting, whatever you are, uh, you know, performing. But yeah. I was the only person who didn't take part in school productions because I had such fear of embarrassment of being up there in the in the limelight so I, I steered right. away from it I had a strange desire there's this sort of paradox of wanting to perform but not wanting to be stared at too much or laughed at too much so it was yeah, okay. uh, it was it was torturous I, I, I kind of I remember when train spotting came out and it was such a sort of pivotal film at that time and and I was at university at the time and I don't know, it seemed to be that I thought, oh, that would be fantastic to be an actor. Wouldn't it be great to be Ewan McGregor? And, yeah. But I know, but also my... I think we my, all thought that at the time, to be honest. Well, yeah, exactly. And then my, my, my father worked in television. He was a director of all sorts of programmes. And oh, okay. he, said, he said, don't do it, actors are weird. Um, I said, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm, kind of, I'm kind of weird. And he said, it's, it's, a, it's, such, an, it's such an insecure life and they are such insecure people. I'm sure they're not... They're, they aren't all insecure people, but you've got to have a, 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 a are, I don't know, a slim, something slightly outre to be, to be an actor. Um, mm. And I didn't, I didn't have that. I, so sort of, I don't know. The next best thing, I don't. 
Yeah. I mean, was there a plan then when you sort of got into radio? Did you did you get into that and think, right, okay, so this is the broadcast journalism thing. This is this is this is definitely the start of a journey which is going to take me to X, you know, mountain top or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, literal mountain tops. I like that. Uh, I. I, I there wasn't. There was certainly as soon as I started to do it, then I got more serious about it and thought, ah, right, okay, I really do enjoy this and I really do want yeah, to do okay. this. But I wasn't a grand plan then, saying, right, I want to. You just always want. You always want to improve, and you have such drive and ambition when you're younger, in particular. That yes, I definitely wanted to to move on, and I didn't want to be. Bless it. I didn't want to be at Scott FM for the rest of my days. Well, it, I mean, it didn't mm. last very long anyway, Scott FM. But I, I wanted to do. I wanted to broadcast on more sports. I wanted to broadcast on a bigger stage. And yes, you end up having to go to to London because in Scotland at the time certainly it was so football concentrated that, and it's and it is quite a goldfish bowl. That yes, you want to be, um, you know, watched by more people and you want to be in the bigger stage. So there's certainly that, but there wasn't a grand plan. It was just right. Let's let's keep doing this, keep enjoying it, and let's see where it takes us. Yeah, and and in terms of then, obviously, broadcast journalists can co- can cover a, a number of different things, but but sport was obviously figuring pretty highly. Yeah, it was actually a news job that I first applied for in uh, local radio, but they saw I had a lot of sport in my CV. I mean, I wanted to be a golfer when I was younger until I realised I wasn't nearly good enough, and then. Um, well, I was going to ask about about your your sporting pedigree. <laughs> none, I mean, none, we're, we're... no sporting pedigree. <laughs> I love playing sport, and I would still rather play sport than watch sport or commentate on sport. I still love, you know, sporting activity. That's, that's you know, as the mm. older you get, the, the the less you can do. But I, w- I was always and about... And in terms of solo stuff, team stuff, have you got a preference on, on your preferred yeah, sort of sports to, to knock about with? I'm pretty antisocial, although you can hide in a in a team environment slightly. I know that's not why most people do team sports, like you quite, <laughs> because you can hide. They do it for the I'm social right. aspect of it and do it for the team bonding. But... Uh, I mean, golf was my thing, and it was, uh, you know, it was all on you. And when it's all on you, and you're like me, then you're absolutely screwed because um, this my psychology is my absolutely dreadful um, in terms. And golf's the worst. Yeah, and it's the worst sport to find you out golf. Um, So whereas you know you could have a slightly off day playing uh, football or playing rugby. And you might get carried along by the rest of the team, or they can pick yeah. you up mentally. So, I understand more the attraction of team sport, but I always quite like doing things on my, my own as well. So, yeah, that's you, what I was drawn do you think to. It's permissible. Sports. Yeah, do you, do you think it's permissible for a commentator to allow himself the insight at top level sport that comes from having played it at an amateur level like from from knocking about for example you know like you say the the sort of mental destruction you can cause yourself as, no, as someone out on the, on, on the 17th green can can you uh, can you put some of that in there no. to, to someone who's doing it for the masters i mean a, a, a tiny 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 amount but they are totally different creatures and play on a totally yeah. different level and play almost a totally different game Mm. So even when you played it, and I was quite good at golf, but but when you've played it, you know, so you can have an appreciation for how brilliant they are, but you cannot, even if you played top level amateur golf, you can't imagine what it's like to be standing, you know, second shot in the fifteenth of the Masters coming down the stretch or whatever. It's not, yeah, and and uh, you're right. It gives you an appreciation, I suppose, for how good they are. But it yeah. doesn't give you uh, an insight into what they're feeling or how they're going to hit this shot because they'll be able to hit the shot that you just wouldn't be able to hit. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, so when did commentating then first 
It's the first figure on well, the scene. Well, commentary would. I mean, when I was working at local radio, we didn't have any rights at Scott FM to any of the any of the <laughs> matches. So I didn't do any commentary. I, you know, you were presenting bulletins, and you. I mean, it was yeah. quite good in a way because you were learning to 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 edit, to do interviews, to to do the whole package. Uh, you know, mm. to produce as well as report and present. Um, so that by the time you went to areas where you're able to specialise more and just be a, a, a broadcaster, then you know you have an appreciation for the sort of skills of everyone else as well and the work that goes into it. But there was no commentary. So commentary first happened when I came down to London uh, to work for... I was a, freelancing for Sky News and for Five Live, and Five Live let me loose on... Uh, in 2000, let me loose on a rugby uh, commentary on Sports Plus, as it was, which became Sports Extra. Okay. And then yeah. just a, f- a couple of months later, they, they let me do on the same station just because it was a great outlet for trying out new voices, Sports Plus, Sports yeah. Extra. Um, and so I got to do... Because nobody could find it. Because nobody could find it. Nobody was listening to it. it but there was, there, was a, there was money invested in it at the time. So we, we even covered things yeah. like the World Match Play at Wentworth. And I went down there. That was my first golf commentary. Um, yeah. So that's when I, when I started. And you were kind of thrown into it. A little bit, and it was right. Let's just see what you can do because we're not risking you yeah. on the sort of the main station at the moment. Let's just see if you can do this. And were there were there voices that you emulated growing up? Were there people that you know? I mean, there's obviously yeah. on a rugby front, there's a bit of a Scottish grandfather overlooking. I imagine any Scotsman yeah. who wants to get involved in, in doing any rugby country, yes. which, which Bill McLaren for those people listening who might not know who I'm talking about, <laughs> obviously. But um, but yeah, were there, were there voices you emulated or were or were wary of of you know, uh, mimicking. Well, that's that's the key thing. You can't, you shouldn't mimic somebody. You should always take in what they do and how they do things and listen to and appreciate. And I think when you're growing up watching a lot of sport, and I was watching a huge amount of sport, like most youngsters growing up, I was watching them all, and mm. all of that is probably seeping in a little bit. Whether it's Peter Alice or Bill McLaren or David Coleman or Barry Davis, it's all. It's yeah. all just it's all just feeding into you. So by osmosis, you are you are taking all this on board. And whether you realise it or not, that is becoming your template for being a commentator as well. But at the same time, you have to be yourself. And, you know, Bill's from the heart of the borders. Or Bill's from the heart of the borders and Hoyk. And I'm, you know, totally different type of voice from the, the west yeah. of Scotland. So and it would sound ridiculous if you... And yes, I'd, you know, Bill had... A lovely voice. He had a great delivery. He had a wonderful turn of phrase. He had, uh, you know, a, a lot of... Uh, uh, sort of metaphors in there and similes and and and, but if you try to ape that, it would say, "Oh, there's the poor man's Bill McLaren." So be your, be yourself and yeah. do, you know. I would say I'm a, a a different type of commentator. But what you can have, that all you know, good commentators have, what you can try and have is that same appreciation for the sport and a nice turn of phrase, however it's mm. delivered. Just having a a turn of phrase and appreciation for the moment and the drama or the. The lightheartedness of it, if it's required, yeah. and, and you know whether you're, um, you know, wherever you come from, whatever your accent is, um, whatever your background, those are the sort of common threads I think that run through through good commentators. Yeah, uh, I totally agree. And uh, and so as you're jobbing then through through you know Sports Plus and and then I, I imagine the five live gigs started coming as well at, at that point. Yeah. What was what was the first sort of big event that started coming into view that that you you saw your name being attached to and was like, oh hello. Well, I remember. Uh, well, I was supposed to be uh, the, the join the golf team on the radio for the two thousand and one Ryder Cup, um, which was then, of course, nine eleven happened, and it was put back to two thousand and two. Um, right. 
uh, back into the the even years, and who knows all that uh, all that might change. But uh, so I remember getting excited about that, and and then the, I suppose the Rugby World Cup in two thousand three. Well, no, I remember I remember first of all getting my my rotor for the two thousand and one uh, Six Nations. Because I was yeah. doing that on BBC Radio, and I was on BBC Radio. You know, they did a lot of them on BBC Radio Four at the time, uh, Longwave. Oh, okay. So yeah, because right. that was freed up, and um, so I was doing Scotland, Wales, or well, I, I remember doing that with commentating with Andy Irvin. I think Ellie Oldroyd might have been presenting, and okay. you yeah. know, just hearing the Radio Four continuity announcer saying, mm. "And commentary from Murrayfield will come from." Nick Mullins, Andrew Cotter, and your presenter Ellie Oldroyd, and it was just ah, uh, there we go. That's quite, it's quite, it's, it's quite a thrill, and it seems uh, mm. it seems strange, right? But it, I don't know it, it, it when you've grown up watching. Well, it doesn't need to feel strange, does it? I mean, I think those are the moments that that you work towards, aren't they? And when you're when yeah. you're then started to be placed in in those amongst the names of people that you've respected or or on stations and introduced in that way, certainly, I think I think that's uh, there's probably still a thrill. For yeah. That. And when you've grown up watching the Six Nations as well, or Five Nations and growing up watching that and mm. these events and suddenly you're commentating on them, it, you, you should never lose that appreciation. You become a bit, um, well, before all this, we became a bit blasé about it all, you know, mm. doing this event again and doing this event again. You never, <laughs> yeah. ne- you, you should never take it for granted because what a, what a, what a privilege it is to be sitting there being, and this sounds terrible, but being the... The Bill McLaren or whoever it might be for people watching now. I mean, the, yeah, you know, th- things have changed a huge amount in terms of there isn't one voice of a sport as there was back then. Now. But it's still, what, it's still, what a privilege it is to bring bring sport into the help bring sport into the sitting rooms of people around the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And and you then sort of was were working across various sports, I guess, as as the uh, as you bedded in, I guess, with Five Live. Were you staff at the BBC for a while then? Oh, I was for a long time, yeah. So I was initially freelance, yeah. I went down, and then I got offered a staff job. And a staff job at the BBC was seen as, you know, that's the the holy grail. That, because it was such mm. a, it seems like an entirely different world, and it, it was a very different world. And I was just arriving at the BBC at the end of the days of uh, of Milk and Honey, where, where, you know, the BBC was very well funded. And, yeah, Sky had come in in the 1990s, early 1990s, and it changed the landscape. But it hadn't changed to the extent that it has now. And the BBC still yeah. had the rights to almost everything. And yeah. it was still very, well, very Sky well funded in terms of... didn't they? But the, but the rest of it... Well, and, well exactly. And to a degree, but... Yeah, and and so and if you did sport in the BBC, it was very very well funded, and and you know things are understandably far more tightly controlled financially now, and certain sports have uh, have borne the brunt of it as well in being cut back. Um, but at that time, it was uh, yeah, it was it was it was just very very exciting to be doing sport at the BBC and to be given a staff job. There was it was security as well, mm. um, and you knew that because if you've got a staff job at the BBC, if I had stayed staff, you're staff for life. It's um, you know yeah. it's uh, it takes away a lot of possibilities, and that's why you eventually go freelance again. But it it it, it brings a huge amount of security. So to be, you know, I, I, again, it's the excitement. I remember getting my first HR letter from BBC saying we are pleased to be offer you uh, the salary of twenty shillings a year for um, all this stuff. <laughs> And it was, yeah. it, but it was, it was so exciting, and so yeah, staff for a long time until uh, two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve. So I had a and, and that, twelve years that of versatility. Staff. 
then that came to you. Sorry to interrupt. Part of the nature of of, of being on our online yeah. conversation um, is, I think, a slight delay. But um, yeah, the uh, you then obviously got the chance through the BBC to work on loads of stuff, and I think that as a staffer at the BBC, certainly. Uh, if if we were to turn back time, I think you know for me it would absolutely be a dream job because you you, you will <laughs> yeah. get put onto different things and and you're there just to just to commentate on on what comes up and yeah. and I think you know versatility can be an athlete's undoing, but your ability to commentate on a wide range of sports and events has I I think become very much your USP from from tennis to golf to rugby as you've mentioned athletics, the boat race, yeah. probably some obscure Olympic events in there as well. Um, <laughs> There have been some, yeah. <laughs> I mean that that must have the, those years and and the opportunity to have done all those things, many of which you still do via a freelance uh, contract, must have just given you so much satisfaction to be able to to dip between them all. Well, yes, and uh, it's interesting. I was listening to uh, your chat with Mike Costello, who is just a brilliant broadcaster, and uh, so many of the yeah. things that he said rang true. And I remember he he said that he was. Um, he was uh, offered a, a job, uh, you know, doing cricket, and that he didn't quite have. He didn't feel he quite. He couldn't back himself to have the knowledge or the passion for it that he did for for boxing or for athletics. Yeah. And I would, I would never, I would never say the Olympic sports when I when I wasn't doing athletics or wasn't doing the opening ceremony at Olympics. Then I was offered, you know, weightlifting or modern pentathlon, and they're different because they are ones that that. Um, they needed commentators at the time. You knew it's just a short-term fill, so you yeah. would brush up on them and get absolutely ready for them, and hopefully, be a decent enough commentator on them for that moment. Um, and so, so yeah, just I was to, asked to do the championship cycling, yeah. and I felt I, by the time I'd finished it, and I'd sort of genned up over the two three weeks I had in a build-up, I sort of felt like it was it was my my metaphor for it was it was a bit like babysitting, and and all I know is the baby didn't die. But, but was I was I the best parent for those few hours? You know, not so sure. Yeah. But but we got through it, and I hit, and I hit the right notes and, yeah. and called the right people over the line. So that's, exactly. That's... I mean, in 2012, which was obviously the you know, the enormous Olympics for all of us, and that was the year before I started doing athletics, and I would love to have done athletics um, in London, but it just. Um, it came too soon. I was doing sprint canoeing as one of the things, and I remember Ed yeah. McKeever getting his gold medal at Eton Dorney, and it it was a brilliant race. The atmosphere was incredible, and it was, I, so and I had done a huge amount of work to get ready for that. And then um, you feel you feel like a bit of a charlatan and a bit of a somebody just dropping in for a moment on on yeah. a sport because this is their real passion, and I would totally understand that. But hopefully, I would you know, also be able to. On the BBC, bring that sport to 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 the masses, and it sounds really grand, but bring it to them in in a well, in no, a it's, very it's excited way. Mean, and yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so so yes, to go back to your original question on this on the, the sports that I, I mean, golf and rugby were always my two main sports. But then yeah. I was asked to do tennis, and I had loved tennis. You know, I loved watching growing up watching to Wimbledon, and so I was asked to do that. And I thought, yeah, of course I would love to do that. And then mm. athletics athletics had probably been an even bigger passion of mine for. A long, long time. I mean, again, growing, it's the era you grew up in. Growing up in the era of, you know, Alan Wells and Daley Thompson and Cohen Ovet and uh, Tessa Sanderson yeah. and Fatima Whitbread, whoever it might be. Did I mean, if I didn't mention Steve Cram, he'll kill me, but Steve Cram as well, all these people. <laughs> um, so it's that very difficult to pin down for Q commentator. That, he would say, be great. He's fantastic. Yeah, uh, that would no, um, on the list. Yeah, yes, you you will get him. He, uh, so they were, you know, I loved athletics and getting to commentate in athletics uh, was such a thrill. Uh, but but 
I often wonder if, you know, are you spreading yourself too thinly? Do people then say, ah, jack of all trades, mm. master of none? What's his expertise in this sport if he's suddenly then yeah. doing this sport? But hopefully, hopefully... People just say, well, it's just a sort of continuation of the lineage of Barry Davis. Or uh, David Coleman did football as well as athletics. Harry Carpenter did many, many sports. But, you know, boxing was his speciality. But that multi-sports broadcaster, that that role has kind of dwindled. um, Well, I think you're the last last of that breed. Well, there are some who do on radio who do... A couple of sports, certainly. And, you know, look at Mike Costello doing athletics and boxing. So there might be people yeah. who do two, I suppose. Alistair Bruce Ball, John Murray would do golf and football. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are others. He, uh, Nick Mullins does tennis, uh, and, yeah. rugby. And Nick would do a lot of sports as well. So yeah. the, there are some, but you're right. It's not, it's far more now. It's about, it's about having someone in a sport who is an expert. And indeed, a lot of the commentators now are ex-sportsmen and women. And... Uh, mm. you, you know, I always felt that there should be, a, um, and actually you mentioned Steve Cram there, and he's someone who has become a brilliant broadcaster, just a brilliant yeah, broadcaster. Well, the BBC, BBC have always been, I think, the leaders in taking athletes and, and probably more so back in the day, putting the hours in and training them properly. Um, you know, even if you look at people who, who present now very well, Gary Lineker, when he first yeah. started, was probably pretty terrible. He worked, and, and he worked hard at it. He, you know, the, yeah. You know, yeah people, and even, and, you know, Claire Balding's background was coming in from, from horses. She wasn't a top level, but she worked very, very hard. You know, perhaps yeah. she might have initially got Jonathan chance. Edwards as well. Or, well, exactly. Or, you know, the, these various people that have gone on to host things um, or yeah. become lead commentators. Rory Lawson now, who does it on, on Rugby Union. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of them. I mean, to, to, to sort of look at a couple of the sports you do, golf perhaps uh, against an athletics race, one of the sort of, I guess, <laughs> I guess more more exciting ones, um, two hugely different styles. Are there, are there moments in the calendar where going from one to another needs a, a sort of proper mental reset or do you just do the prep, pick up the mic and, and you're there and you're ready to go? Yeah, you can, you can uh, compartmentalise um, quite well in that, you know, one week, as you say, uh, golf. I mean, the, the four the four sort of main sports, golf, tennis, um, rugby and athletics are all very, very different in mm. terms of the pace of them, in terms of how much you're saying or how little you're saying. I suppose yeah. uh, rugby and athletics would be the most similar in terms of pace and stadium noise and that kind of cadence. Um, whereas golf is just bouncing along a little bit, unless it's the Ryder Cup, it's very exciting, and there are exciting moments within golf, but it's far more test match special level of, of is, yeah. chat commentary. And then tennis on television, I mean, again, what a huge difference between radio and television, because tennis on radio is mm. non-stop, whereas tennis on television is the is is the commentary where you say least of all. In fact, the, yeah. the main points where you're saying things are at the change of ends. You know, you're not yeah. saying anything during the point. You might come up with an exclamation and just a, a brief observation about forehand. But that's that's also that's for the co-commentator to, to do, really. So tennis mm. is what can I add in this tiny little window here? And what am I going to talk about? What are we going to talk about at the change of ends? Whereas mm. rugby and athletics would be more fast paced. And golf is just you've got so much information that you have to have at your fingertips because it's a long, slow drawn out commentary and you've got to be entertaining as well as informative so yeah they're all very different uh, different skills yeah on the te- on the change of ends at tennis then would you actually be off mic during any points 
to I mean I guess you're concentrating on the point but would you would you have a moment with a cocom to say oh let's let's talk about the percentage of first serves in at the, at the change or whatever <laughs> yes. would you have a moment to you would right okay yeah so I mean it's on the list for to try and get into but yeah okay fair well it's, it is interesting because um, Hawkeye will be on the buttons to you during a game saying um, so you're looking at a preview screen uh, they're showing it okay we're just going to show you where the forehand placement's going or percentage of serves to each corner of the serving box um, right. and and so they say do you want to look at that and I will sort of look at that and I'll say to Boris Becker or Tim Henman or or, or, or John McEnroe um, I'll just say do you want to have a look at that uh, and the next yeah. change of ends and they'll look at it and because they're the experts and they'll say yeah, it's not really relevant at the moment or yep yeah, let's yeah. have a look at that then I'll get in the talk yeah, back okay. and say yep we're going to do that at Hawkeye and then Hawkeye will go to the director and say we're going to do this at the change of ends and then the director will say I'm afraid not Sue's going to take us around the outside courts of the change of ends so <laughs> yeah. all plans go out the window but yes you're thinking about what you're going to chat about and you might just scribble something down um, yeah. Okay. Well. Well. Talking of scribbling, I mean, talking about prep time. How does it differ? And certainly, you know, rugby's been my dominant work to date. And you'll script the top a little bit mm. of the team team boards, and then you're into the match. And how much how much scripting will you do? Have you have you written any any bits of lines, knowing that you're going to need to find the right phrase if a world record goes on an yeah. athletics track or, or, or this yeah. kind of thing? How, how much how much how does it work for you? Uh, well, you're spot on. You do you do um, write some things down. You write some phrases. You write uh, a couple of lines that you think might work in a certain situation or certain outcome because you know, you know. So for every rugby match, I would write a, a little line. So if Scotland are playing France, I would say, um, you know, write a little line. If England, uh, if England were to win the Scotland France match, would be weird. But if, if France, sorry, if France were to win. <laughs> Say, well, I didn't. I hadn't, with that. I hadn't prepared for this. What's, what's going on? Um, so yes, yeah, so you write a little line, uh, but then it might absolutely go out the window because it's not relevant because it's been a terrible game or because it's yeah. been a brilliant game or because something dramatic has happened that just isn't relevant for that line. So however nice the line might be that you have prepared, be prepared to mm. bin it as well. Um, much though it pains you, you think, oh, that was going to be so good. But if it doesn't work, if it doesn't fit. Don't use it because there's there are a few things worse than a sort of clunking line that uh, people go ah right there he goes how many script meetings yeah. were there over that line and you're just yeah. really well, crowbarring like, it in it, yeah if people can hear your homework you're not doing it right yeah yeah mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So my, my, one, of my, one of my dogs is barking a pre-prepared line, clearly, in the background that she just wanted Excellent. to get in. So, I, I mean, I remember... Um, what are the uh, dog's names? Uh, Olive and Mabel. So that was Olive, um, who was just came up with the right phrase at the right time there. I remember <laughs> doing the, um, the Rio Olympics, doing Wade Van Niekerk's world record. And you, you not, not that you knew how it was going to play out, but you, you, you knew the three main uh, protagonists in Karani James, LaShawn Merritt, and, um, and Wade Van Niekerk himself. And Van Niekerk was on mm. the outside uh, in lane nine, as was. And... Um, so you you kind of are prepared for, for example, the fact that he's going to be running blind. He's going to have nothing outside him but the crowd, mm. um, and inside, Lashawn Merritt and Karan James will be chasing him down. So you can think of a line. You know that's going to happen. So you yeah. can think of a line. You know, barring a miracle, but if someone you know if someone pulls a hamstring, or whatever, then all all bets are off. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, I would say ninety percent of what you, more than that even are are, are like is just you observing. And coming up with something on the spot and commentating, but yeah. part of it as well is thinking of a thinking of a nice phrase for the middle of the race, a nice little line just to put in there. But again, you've got I come back to you, you've got to be so strong enough to say ah, it's just not going to work there, and so mm. jettison it. No matter how nice the line was, it's gone. Consigned to the the ether, and <laughs> you let it go. Yeah, and you're a you're a beautifully self-effacing uh, chap. But um, but what moments have you looked back on so far? Or you, you know, you might not be that sort of man either to look back too much. But but what moments, perhaps through your career so far, have you have you enjoyed, or have you sort of walked away as you put the mic down and thought <laughs> that that went well? I think I nailed that. I mean, ninety nine percent of the time, I come away going, "Ah, oh, I could have done that better." <laughs> I think most of the time, you're just thinking, "I need to just keep this above a bar of quality that you're satisfied <laughs> with it." Because if you come away going, "Yeah, well, yeah I true. absolutely hammered that," then yeah. you, then you're a weird person. But there have but been, I've done be it. Those one or two. No, you know, of course there. Are, well, I remember Tiger Woods chipping in at the Masters um, in two thousand five, and I was doing that for radio, and I was right beside the sixteenth. Mm. And so this very famous Vern Lundquist commentary, he was a CBS commentator in America, which is played over and over again. And it was a lovely bit of commentary. Um, I was commentating for radio at the time, but I remember, I remember thinking, you know, I got that. I was quite pleased with that commentary. Um, mm. And and I, you, I don't know if you remember two, Wales against Scotland in 2010, where Scotland, Scotland were leading remarkably by, uh, they were leading by seven points. No, they were leading by 10 points. Uh, with four minutes to go, and they lost by seven, which takes mm. some doing. But it was such a dramatic game, and it was such an amazing comeback. And the atmosphere in the principalities, in the Millennium Stadium, as was that day, was just mm. incredible. But I was, but I, I was pleased with it because I, I think I did it quite well. But I also, I was pleased with it because I was as excited for Wales winning 
or I certainly mm. sounded as excited as I would for for Scotland coming because that's a key thing for me as well. I, it, it's is to is to be to be neutral. Um, yeah. But yeah, so there have been what I've enjoyed some Ryder Cups as well where the commentary's gone well. Uh, but yes, most of the time it's just whew, got away with that one. Thank you, thank yeah. you, and good night. Put well, the microphone down. <laughs> yeah, where's my cup of tea? Um, what have been the most challenging then uh, on the other sort of end? What might you prefer not to hear back? Are there any that stand out? Um, uh, yes, but I've probably consigned them to the deepest recess of my memory. They will only be brought yeah. out under hypnosis. Or I, I, I mean, I'm yeah, sure so. if I if I were to stop and think about this, I would I would be able to think about. I've. Um, I remember Florian Fritz and I mean this is these are minor things, but I remember Florian Fritz and uh, David Marty, the two French centres, had swapped jerseys uh, or got you know, one had gone twelve, one had gone thirteen. I remember getting yeah. it's getting a try scorer wrong. That's the only time I've got a try scorer wrong. I remember them scoring, and you, you get down about that because um, on yeah. radio you can just. You can cover up. You can pretend that suddenly, yeah. oh, David Marty just popped up in the move at the very end there. <laughs> no one's going to be any wiser until they watch the highlights on television. Um, so I've got, yeah, there have been yeah. there have been plenty where I've I've got things wrong. I've got a couple of things wrong in it. Um, I, well, I've got a couple of things wrong in all sports. There's no doubt about that. Um, but well, I think the key thing is. Oh, they do stay with you, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a theme a Q commentator actually is finding out that there's an element of wanting every commentary to be perfect, but also all of us having to understand that no commentary is ever going to be perfect. Um, so, so you know, learning but, to forget and get, get past those moments yeah, the heart, is, is part of the, yeah. it, but they're still going to be there and they're still going to rancor a certain amount. And the, the hardest part of it all now is that we all know that social media is um, a, a wonderful and dreadful thing at the same time. And we, True. I, I would rather not do it at all. But you're told, well, you should do it really for you know, you're a freelance broadcaster. You've got to do it for mm. profile sometimes, or whatever. And but but there is instant judgment on your commentaries. And when you come off and you know you've got something wrong, and then and then you find out that people are you know saying, oh, you got that wrong on Twitter or whatever. I remember, I mean, and I didn't get anything, I would like to think I didn't get anything wrong at the uh, opening ceremony for the Olympics in Rio, but it's such a long broadcast with so many people watching and there yeah. is so much scope for offending people uh, when you're bringing in 205 countries to the stadium and you've got to say something interesting about the history or the oh, geopolitical blimey, yeah. status of that country, then so, people are just, so, you know, come off and there are 250 mentions on Twitter and people going on about, oh, Andrew's going, uh, Andrew Cotter's going on about the colonial past of a certain country. Well, I'm just saying why yeah. they didn't compete in the Olympics until 1972. That, you know, yeah. So I just, you just give facts, but people just say, oh, God, he, he goes on about Christopher He's Columbus going didn't, on didn't dis- in Ghana anytime yeah. soon. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> Columbus didn't discover Dominican Republic, Andrew. Think about it. <laughs> I know, but he was the. Oh, in terms of. Oh, I don't know. It's just awful. So it's. Uh, yeah, because you're always hard enough on yourself, but now everybody else weighs in and is hard hard on you as well. So it's a it's a yeah, yeah interesting medium. I'm now dreaming up a scenario I'd like to enjoy, which is you talking back to yourself doing <laughs> doing the yeah. Olympic ceremony, just exactly. being the armchair person listening to yourself. Shut up! Yeah, um, I know. I, there was God, there was obviously um, a, a minor memorable moment at the Stadio Olimpico in 2013. Oh God! Uh, Italy against Wales. For people who don't know, um, we we handed over to Andrew. 
in the commentary <laughs> box. I can't, I can't remember actually. I haven't done my research enough to to re- remind myself how many minutes you lasted. Three minutes clearly, fifty-five. Three minutes fifty-five. Was that all? Was yeah. that all? Three minutes fifty-five, and then it became apparent that Andrew was indisposed, shall we say? And uh, I, I, Jonathan Davis, who was co-commentator that day, uh, then startlingly had to jump in and become lead commentator. You were a little unwell. I was on. Well, the weird thing was I. Um, so ten minutes before kickoff, I was absolutely fine. Five minutes really? before kickoff, before the anthems, I started to feel that you know that really cold f- feeling that you think I might be oh, yeah, yeah. feeling a little bit sick here. And then during the anthems, I, I said to I said to to Jeffy, I said to Jonathan, I said you I, I might be struggling here and he thought I was joking so he was just yeah yeah whatever you'll be fine so yeah. I thought I thought I was hoping that the adrenaline of the game would kick in and just get yeah. get me going but it, it was awful I remember the first couple of minutes just trying not to be sick uh, and I'd wow. like to stress it was just it was just being sick there was nothing else going on as lots of Welsh <laughs> fans have subsequently and indeed still point out to me I was just being sick but anyway um, I thought, well, if I can just get through this, but there was no way. And I was, I thought, I've got to get out of here yeah. because if I'm sick on air, then that really is. That's a, a, <laughs> a viral YouTube sensation career ender. So I just yeah. put down the mic. You can hear the thump of the mic on the table after about three I, yeah, minutes 55. And I just went, disappeared. And yeah. the director uh, was saying to the floor manager, is Andrew... Where's Andrew? And the floor manager was saying, yeah, he's gone. <laughs> so, yeah, he's, he's just, he's gone. Um, so yes, I was down in the, in the, in the bowels of the stadium. Again, I stressed. Um, yes. Just being sick. Unfortunately, um, phrase to brought back, given, yeah, the, exactly. given the rumours you're trying to scotch here. The rumours that I'm Ill. trying to quash here. I was, but I was, I was really, really ill. And, and I, strangely, the stubbornness and the determination. you needed to get to? Yeah, no, I didn't. Not in time, no. Oh. I went in through the presidential <laughs> suite as well, and there were all these statuesque <laughs> models, as it being Italy, to welcome VIPs into of the presidential course. suite. But I knew that the nearest loo was the other side of the presidential suite. And they so, were saying, yeah. oh, buongiorno, senor, how are you? And I sort of would indicate that I wasn't particularly well by projectile I'm, I'm vomiting. technical yawn. Yeah, oh, it was awful. It was absolutely awful. And then I came oh, back up at half-time and thought, maybe I, can, maybe I can see myself through this. And the floor manager said, Andrew, you're, you're, you're greeny-grey. And yeah. so I went back down again and was ill for the whole game. Eventually, I was taken Wait. down by the medics and was given these uh, anti-nausea um, injections. Um, wow! And that was it. Yeah, so good times. Good times in the Stadio Olimpico. Um, oh no! Which I, I will always remember, and lots of other people will as well. So that that Do you know that's what caused the, it, by the way. Was it just a? a it was. A, it was the norovirus. It was a winter vomiting. But oh, yeah, was it? So. Right. Oh, yeah. the poor thing. But uh, <laughs> nonetheless. Um, yeah. So, so talking about your voice, then how how would you describe it now? Uh, my voice. I, I don't. Mm. I don't know. It's a little little challenge for you. I don't know. Um, it I, well, it, it changes, I suppose, because it changes depending on what your broadcast is. So if I, would, you know, mm. if you're doing a, I do some ad voiceovers or narration or whatever, and then you know, it depends again what they would want as well. Sometimes it is, you know, um, uh, sell your product with Andrew Carter's voiceover, um, yeah. or or but in commentary terms, you're really ramping it up to something much more exciting, which I'm not going to do here. But of course, you know, and, and it's interesting well, again listening to Mike talking about high- that. Yeah, sorry. You're, you're it's a change of, of gears. Sort of it's a, tenor, yeah. Well, it's exactly. You know, someone like Eddie Butler would be uh, would be more bass. He'd be a, a baritone, and I would be more a tenor, I suppose. Uh, and it's just it's 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 again. It, 
if you're to analyse the craft or, or whatever of commentary, it's having that change of gear to fit the change of mm. gear of the event in front of you. So, so yes, I would imagine it does get quite squeaky high when I get excited. But yeah, I remember Mike talking about that. You know, when he's doing the boxing as well, and how, I, I, and I've done this in in athletics races a, a couple of times where. I've actually, you know, you, you, I think I'm about to pass out here. I've gone far too early and far too high. I've gone into fifth gear okay. and yeah. rein it back in, Andrew. Rein it back. Just dial it down a little bit because it's <laughs> yeah. all about, you know, because if you haven't got anywhere else to go, then it sounds just ridiculous and you're screeching for a while. So it's all about the pace. You know, if you look at the sound graph on a sound wave and the graph and you see it just moving up nicely, then you've, you've done it well. But if you're flatlining, if you're flatlining at the top early on, then it's no good for anybody. Yeah, absolutely. And and is it something that you you warm up? Do you do anything to get yourself there? Uh, speaking to John Hunt, obviously, para- Paradise by the Dashboard Light featured in some of his uh, ahead of some of his big race meets. Oh, okay. he's uh, yeah, he's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. I mean, and he he peaks his as the as they go across the line. That's kind of what you're looking for as a horse goes yeah. across the line or as a runner goes across the line that you are absolutely. And it's I, I I enjoyed I enjoyed Doha actually. This you talk about a couple of the races. You know what have you enjoyed doing? I, Doha the crowds were terrible, but the races, some of the distance races were brilliant. And I remember the the men's three thousand meter steeplechase and Conceslas Capruto winning a title and just take it on the line from oh I've forgotten I've forgotten his name now, Ethiopian era. It's Kenya against Ethiopia, and yeah. it was by millimeters over three thousand meters. And then as they cross the line, it's that ecstasy of explosion of noise and then it just as they collapse to the track your voice dies away with them because that's Mm. it it's uh, you know it's uh, I mean there there is I'm sure there is some sort of um, (laughs) explosion way of putting it in graphic uh, terms but it is that (laughs) and then it just it dies away and climactic well you're having a cigarette 10 seconds after the race uh it's no it's uh, it's just but but it's making it match those moments match the the i'd say the sport in front of you so uh i would not warm up my voice i know i always try and take um a sort of lozenge just to make sure that things are whether it was once a strep cell now these things called vocal zone which are um they just protect your voice a little bit because i never used to think about it but I have lost my voice a couple of times due to having had a cold or whatever. And the day before mm. doing a match, you're thinking, I might not be able to do this. And again, yeah. you know, you really want to do the commentary and you're yeah. thinking, actually, my voice is quite quite important to In, me. So yeah. protected as a, as a singer would protect their voice. Um, because if you don't have, you know, a commentator without a voice is, is well, nothing. It, yeah, so you've got to look after it. And I probably don't look after it quite as much as I, as I should. Yeah, giving up those woodbines will help certainly. Um, yeah, no, I know, I know what you mean. I've certainly had, a, I've had a couple of horribly timed winter or, or Six Nations colds, and uh, and it's mm. straight onto the steamer um, all yeah. week as soon as you feel the first tickle going. Yeah, I've just got to get through. And and I had, I actually had one. Uh, I did a Pro Fourteen game in in the autumn, and uh, the voice was on its way. But I managed to basically not say anything, drinking ginger tea and steaming for a good couple of days. Yeah, got got yeah. to the game, did the game, did the full eighty, walked the five minutes around the corner to the Holiday Inn, walked up to the counter, and they said, "Can I have the name, please?" And I went, eh. "Yeah, oh. gone." And Go on, the absolutely. adrenaline and everything, and, and my preservation had got me through the eighty, but uh, but beyond the full time score, there was yeah. nothing. I've been um, there. It was. Yeah, it was really interesting. Um, what do you think is the key to becoming a good commentator, and, and who do you think out there's doing 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 the God's work, doing the Lord's work? Um, I 
I mean, first of all, you've got to so you've got to have a passion for sport. Obviously, you've got to have a good voice. I think as well. So, I mean, some people might be potentially brilliant commentators, but don't quite have the have the voice, and vice versa. There'll be people with a voice who don't have the other skills. You, you've mm. got to be prepared to work a lot as well, because as everybody who well, everybody should know really that the commentary you hear is the end of a, a week's work, or it's the it's the tip of the iceberg. You know, it's the it's the cherry in the cake and various other things. Um, because you have to have a, a, done the work, the prep to make to make you sound as if you know what you're talking about. I mean, there are certain sports where you'll have a large residual knowledge anyway, and there are others where you'll have to do um, more homework. But I think mm. the key thing for me in terms of commentary is, as you say, that change of gear, um, a sort of sympathy for the sport that's happening in front of you and whether you're able to follow it with the right tone of voice. And that change of tone of voice can be very, very subtle. But also... Sport can be serious and it can be dramatic and it can be wonderful, but it, it can also be silly, it can be boring, it mm. can be all of those things. It's not always dramatic, it's not always serious. So mm. don't always treat it with these, you know, rather pompous, stentorian tones that uh, behold the greatness of sport. Well, sometimes it's just a bit of nonsense, a bit of... Uh, yes. So, yeah. so have that light and shade, have that change of gear uh, and don't always... Yeah, don't always. Con- I don't know. There's a there's a certain tone on certain stations that would say that this is the most important thing happening in the world today. Well, yeah. it might be a it might be a great match. It might be um, <laughs> a fantastic sporting event, and it might matter a great deal. But there will also be within it, as I said, some some very light hearted moments. And at the end of the day, as well, at the end of the day, use that sporting cliche. Mm-hmm. It is just sport. But having said that, sport is. As we know, you know, when you're without it, you realise just how, how how important it is. Yeah, and and just, just that supplementary question: anyone out there in particular that that you're particularly loving? Oh yeah, I, well, I would always love listening to John Murray, who I think is just uh, uh, brilliant yeah. because he's so he's so natural. That what you hear when he's commentating as well is is it's just as he is. Um, and, but he's got a, he can do the dramatic moments so well, but he can do. Uh, you can do very sort of very subtle whimsy and humour uh, as well. Great descriptive powers. Yeah. So John, John would be. I mean, there are many. I mean, John Hunt's a brilliant commentator. Mike Costello as well. I would say a lot of. I think it's if you're a very good commentator, it's e- it's easier to to shine on radio than television because television you're only doing you're filling in really for the picture. The pictures are doing most of the work. And mm. you're trying to augment them or trying to just assist them along the way. Whereas on radio, you are the pictures. So you've got to, you've got, and so the very best commentators really do stand out. And I think you have to have uh, great talent to uh, to do the radio commentary. So any, I mean, there are so many I could, I could, I could name. But I, I think certainly if you give me one a commentator to commentate on, uh, to commentate for my life. I mean, that would be weird, first of all, but uh, yes. Commentator <laughs> to commentate on my on my demise would be John Murray. Yeah. Here goes Andrew Cotter, yeah. uh, off he goes. And um, John would be the commentator seeing me off. Nice choice. Yeah, I, John is brilliant. And it's interesting, actually. I mean, you mentioned the the likes of Mike Costello and John Hunt as well, who, uh, you know, these are people that I've managed to speak to. It would be great to speak to John Murray at some point as well. But I found it quite interesting that the people I've been drawn to, the names that feel most apparent to me, 
have often been a lot who are still within or, or close to the BBC stable. And mm. although the likes of Nick Mullins, ex-BBC and, and, and at BT now, and, and I've spoken to Miles Harrison and, and, you know, would love to speak to Martin Tyler and various mm. others who are clearly very established broadcasters at other, um, you know, in working for other uh, other companies it is interesting to me that actually a lot of the people that that we see as being at the top of their game are bbc trained and worked for a number of years even though perhaps as as the old institution that we that we've known and loved for so many years bringing us our sport hasn't as much sport as it used to have but actually the people no, but that are bringing it are still so close to our hearts yeah, exactly because it, it did have all the sport and there was so much scope for people coming through there and so many bbc local radio stations as well so that's where so many started mm. Um, so yes in terms of job opportunities 20 years ago when a lot of these people 30 years ago 40 years ago when some of these people were coming through then the BBC yeah. had far more opportunities to give than commercial radio or television so now it, you know if you look in 10 years time 20 years time there will be people who started their, have done their entire careers in the commercial sector because there is so I mean there's so much rugby on, on BT Sport or so much golf on Sky yeah. Sports so and who knows who else is going to come into the picture in terms of Amazon Prime already making themselves felt so there, there will be lots. There will be even more opportunity for people to commentate, but it, yeah. um, but they won't. You know, ninety percent of them won't be coming through necessarily at the at the BBC. I mean, it is still a huge yeah. organisation, still has huge numbers of commentators, and still does sports so so well. But there are just other kids on the block as well now. Yeah. Um, one one question that's come up with uh, with a couple of other people, and I'm interested in in your view is. How much do you think a commentator is allowed an opinion? And we all know that the co-commentator is, in theory, the expert and the one who's who's perhaps going to do the talk about their insight. But ultimately, you know, when they talk about uh, a thousand hours and experts in their field, mm. commentator can have spent an awful lot of time with their chosen sport, and and I, I think their their opinion can be valid. But a lot of people say your job's to call the action. Yeah. We don't want to hear your opinion. I think if something is very obvious. Then uh, you know, then you go with it. But you're right; it's uh, uh, you know, it's not me to say, well, that's 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 a foul, or that's you know, that, that should be a penalty. Mm. Um, that is the job of the expert alongside you. But then those roles, those roles blur. When I'm doing golf, for example, we don't operate with one of us is an expert and one of us is not. Even though Ken Brown and Peter Alice were both golfers, or whoever mm. it might be, um, and I'm sitting there, not the ex-golfer, but I, you know, you can still you can still say if someone misses a three foot putt, you can still say that is you know. And you you yeah. can see I do have a certain amount of knowledge in certain sports where you can say, well, I mean, you know, that's just a poor stroke or whatever. But even then yeah. you'd feel, well, maybe that isn't my job to say so. But if something is very obvious, then you can say it. And if you know, if you can hear the crowd all going, all going in one direction, then jump on board with yeah. them. But um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, get behind the get behind the view that's popular. That's my that's my opinion. No, but you're right. It's 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 an interesting dynamic because sometimes the lines do become blurred and people will say especially when ex sportsmen or women as I say are the lead commentators uh, because mm. you know they might then feel the need to be the expert as well. Um whereas that isn't really their role. But I, I think there should be a certain amount of of a leeway for for everyone you're just nibbling into each other's roles just a little bit but but yeah. still at the same time knowing that the expert is there to provide the expertise yeah okay and uh, and and just a couple more then really um you you talked about what uh, what you think is the key to becoming a good commentator it's it's a similar vein but but would you have a, you know any advice to anyone who's who's listening who is wanting to become a commentator 
Well, things have changed so much now that um, you know, if I were saying to a young, uh, a youngster, a young, young kid, come on, fill him a lad, a young uh, buck, yeah, exactly. Um, I would say, you know, we were all about getting your demo tapes together and sending them off and trying to get into local mm. radio. Whereas now, anyone can broadcast on anything. So set yeah. set up a YouTube channel, you know, um, and start start. <laughs> Offering content, it might be rubbish at, at first, but you'll get better, and then who knows what might happen with it. It's just, mm. um, and I would listen to and watch sport as well, and just as I, as I said at the start, if you're, I was soaking in, you know, the commentary and the sound of sport when I was growing up. So you know, you can do that as well by watching and listening to sport and seeing how it's done. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, media is changing so much and so quickly that any advice I give now will be out of date in five years' time because people can, <laughs> anybody can be a broadcasting channel themselves now. So we're not dependent yeah. so much. If I could go back 10 years, I would set up a YouTube channel and start doing that as well. Now, it would have been utter yeah. rubbish at first, but then you'd yeah. build up some sort of content and some sort of following. And then uh, you wouldn't be dependent on, on companies losing sports rights or uh, world yeah. pandemics. So um, <laughs> it, it, it's just, I... I, I I would say just practice and listen and and enjoy watching sports and just see what you can if you, if you want to do it I would say set something up yourself apply perhaps for jobs and and work experience with others but these conventional routes in are changing now and I think being superseded by yeah you just want to become an influencer that's what you do get some ad revenue yeah. get 10,000 followers and just be, get some <laughs> ad revenue just bully your way through that's it um and uh and we've mentioned the various things that obviously various sports that you've done. What would you like the chance to commentate on perhaps that you've never had the chance to? Ah, um, that's a good one. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I once I, I once got asked if I wanted to do football and I, I, I didn't have. It's a little bit like Mike was saying about the cricket. Um, you know, I, did, I don't really have the passion for it. And football is obviously so keenly followed by so many millions that, um, you know, I think you do have to have a real a real passion for it um, and a real expertise in it. But, you know, you'd love to do the... the you want to do the biggest events, don't you? That's the, that's yeah. the thing. I mean, I, you know, doing the opening ceremony in Rio was a thrill and looking forward to to Tokyo whenever that might happen now, doing that again, that's always a thrill. So, I don't know. I've, got, I've got, Yeah, a football World Cup final and then after 85 minutes people go, hang on a minute, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. But it doesn't matter because I've done... Done the World Cup final. Yeah, I'd love to yeah, love to do a football World <laughs> yeah. Cup final with Scotland playing against England. Do you think that's gonna there happen? Go. When's that gonna yeah, happen? Of course. Of <laughs> yeah. course, yes, we'll we'll make that happen. Okay. Um well okay, one you one you uh one you might want to do, but in terms of then uh, you know, this is this is often my final question, not in a morbid sense, mm. but you're given your chance to do your last call, your last big it could be an event a week, a weekend or whatever it is. It, 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 what what would be your swan song event if you uh, if that was to be the last thing before you put the mic down? Um uh, I Oh, not a good question. I, a football world. I, know, I always like. I was in Scotland. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. I, I, I don't know. Things I've enjoyed doing most. I always got a great thrill out of doing, you know. And uh, sometimes they're still live in the BBC. Sometimes they're not anymore. But I always got a great thrill out of doing the Calcutta Cup in the Six Nations, or doing uh, coming down mm. the stretch in the Masters or the Open, um, or the Ryder Cup. Um, but I would say, yeah, I, 
I'd say doing Olympic Games, there's something about the Olympic Games. Um, you mm. know, it has many, many critics, but there's this, there's a great feeling of the world coming together as well. And, you know, that, that communal viewing experience, which you don't get uh, so much anymore. You might might have got it over a big Andy Murray match, you know, getting 16 million viewers or whatever, or a big Six Nations match, but getting just getting a huge part of the country watching a big event and and being able to to call it and hopefully call it right that would be that would be good yeah there we are 100 meters final in the olympic games something like that there we go well listen you're uh, you're a fantastic example of a multi-sport commentator out there for anybody that's uh, that's looking to uh, to hear how it's done and and look it's reassuring i think to everybody watching their sport to hear the words and andrew cotter um keep up the great work andrew and thank you so much for your time oh thanks very much nick a tricky man to pin down due to how in demand Andrew is, but wasn't that wonderful? I loved hearing a bit more uh, of the detail around that episode at the Stadio Olimpico. The poor bloke, honestly. Uh, and uh, and just fascinated to hear some of the different ways he approaches the various things he does. Uh, a truly great broadcaster of our time. So if you've enjoyed being back on the Q Commentator bus, uh, well, uh, I hope not to leave it so long until the next episode. Um, feel free to uh, tell your mates if you liked it. Don't tell anyone if you didn't. Um, reviews are very welcome on iTunes as well. Please do that. It does help spread the word. And the more people there are, well, the more people others see that they're checking it out. Know what I mean? So if people see more people are there, you know what I mean. It would be lovely to get a review. Um, so if you could take a minute to do that, that would be lovely. Um, and thank you once more. Um, I really mean that. Uh, great to have you listening once again. And I hope to be with you again very soon. It's ciao for now. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.